Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the Power of Books. My name is Timo Jübner, I'm the founder of Timo's Notes and every week I interview popular non-fiction authors about their best-selling books. The goal of the show is to introduce you to new books, provide you with helpful advice and practical tools and to give you a glimpse behind the scenes of the books and beyond their contents. My guest today is Clint Emerson. Clint is a retired Navy SEAL with more than 20 years of service. He is the founder of Escape the Wolf, a company which focuses on crisis management for global companies. He is also the author of the best-selling 100 Deadly Skills series. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Clint's newest book, The Rugged Life, The Modern Guide to Self-Reliance. We will cover topics like how to start integrating more ruggedness into your life, what Clint learned during the research for the book, and a lot more. So now, let's get right into our conversation. Enjoy the show. Clint Emerson, welcome to the Power of Books podcast. I'm happy to have you on today and talk about your new book, The Rugged Life. Nice. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So your new book came out in May this year. Uh, please give us and the audience a little introduction. Um, what is The Rugged Life? The Rugged Life really is a book of backup plans, um, a book of alternatives, right? I think the pandemic showed us that we were lacking hands-on skills because we rely on technology so much. So I thought, you know what, we probably need a book full of skills that are very much hands-on, do-it-yourself, uh, broken up into chapters that apply to, you know, thriving and uh, living your life. Uh, these days, we're, we're so used to, you know, instant gratification through apps that deliver food right to your door, um, you know, apps that deliver the latest, greatest little tech toy straight to your door, right? We're, we're used to all these things, but when the pandemic happens or now with economic decline or supply chain issues, it's just like one thing after another. I thought to myself, you know what? People need to know what I call, you know, lost dad skills, right? The stuff your dad should have taught you that dads aren't teaching anymore. And so the rugged life is comprised of all those do-it-yourself skills that dad should have taught you. That's awesome. Yeah. And you really cover a whole lot of different skills that that's right. Uh, yeah. What would you say, um, who is the book and overall the rugged life? Who is it for? Uh, I tried to, I mean, mainly probably, you know, men, you know, young adults between, you know, 16 to 60, right? I mean, it pretty much anybody can do it. Um, but it probably the demographic is mostly males, but I did put in sections in there that obviously apply directly to females as well, you know. Um, so I, I really wanted everybody to enjoy it, but the reality is most of my readers are, are young males, um, and uh, that's mainly because of the 100 Deadly Skill book series. Mm. Yeah, that, that was your... your most popular book, I guess. And then the, the biggest, you, you did a whole series about that. But um, I think you said that yourself that the 100 deadly skills was more about 
handling crisis like in the immediate moment right after it and the rugged life is more about how to handle crisis over the long term right exactly 100 daily skills focuses on you know surviving seconds minutes hours days where rugged life is a lifestyle and you can pick a section of the book and and apply it to your life like right now you know and dip your toe in if you will or you can just go ahead and dive in head first if you want with this book. I don't recommend that. You know, we had a lot of people when the cities here, at least here in the States, you know, the cities shut down and people started moving out, you know, to the mountains and they'd get out there and about 30 days later go, wow, this isn't as romantic as I thought it was going to be. You know, they envision chopping wood and a wood burning stove and, it's, you know, much easier to do it with your hands. But if you don't know what you're doing, then it's not going to be easy. And so the book kind of gives you the basics so that you can decide, hey, do I really want to be self-reliant uh, 100%? Or maybe I just want certain aspects of my life to be more self-reliant. But the reality is, is the more self-reliant you become, the less this crazy world can affect you. Yeah, and that that's the key with the book, and I think it it really how do you say it, it hits a nerve with the current time, especially after COVID, after the pandemic. Like most people can now relate to why this might be important to to become more self reliant in some aspects of your life. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. So um, I quickly want to add in this question: Are there any other scenarios, or, or like what is likely? Do you think what can happen that will make this even more important? Because we now had a pandemic. You mentioned stuff like uh, supply chain issues, but are there other things like um, that could make this whole thing a must? Yeah, I would say the most current events, you know, when you've got, you know, countries invading other countries, um, you know, being able to fend for yourself becomes really important. I mean, I think we've seen it, like the unpredictability uh, of, of the decisions made by, you know, Russia, you know, to me is like, wow, that's, there's no other reason out there more important to be self-reliant than if you have a neighboring country willing to make big moves like that, right? And You know, so that's immediate economic downturn, like overnight, supply chains ruined, right? You're not getting food, you're not getting water, you're not getting all those basic life support items unless you know how to do it yourself. Um, and now, you know, if you move that same exact scenario to Taiwan, uh, with, with now the Taiwan, you know, as, as we speak right now, are testing their alert systems for invasion. They're testing a lot of stuff in case China decides to make the same kind of move Russia made. Um, now, you know, me in the United States and you in Germany, do we have to worry about that? Probably not. But, you know, the reality is, is it, it's the first step, right? Russia's first step, China's potential first step. Um, all of these things should make people think like, all right, what is my backup plan? What is my contingency plan? How am I going to provide for my family if the stores, Amazon, and all these things can't deliver what I need, you know? So 
uh, I think that's right now that is probably, you know, an unfortunate big reason to start learning how to do some stuff for yourself again. And let's face it, whether it's your country or mine, 100, 200 years ago, every single person, you know, mom, dad, and the kids knew all the skills in this book. And then you, you fast forward to today, and none of us know this stuff anymore. It's crazy because technology has handicapped us. It's, uh, it's made us complacent. It's made us lazy. You know, it's, uh, it's a good thing. And that's why the book subtitle is Modern Guide to Self-Reliance, because I still want people to leverage technology, but use it so that you can fend for yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. We we have we have gotten to a point where most people, including myself, we we couldn't do many things without the help of others because we simply don't know how to do them. We kind of have outsourced so many essential aspects of our lives, like getting food, getting electricity, and all that kind of stuff, building our homes. So I think the the book is really an important topic at all times. Yeah, and on and, and to add to your point, information, we know, hey, all I got to do is Google it. But what if your infrastructure isn't there to Google it, right? And I can see behind you, you've got a library. Everyone should have hard copy library, you know, just in case, you know, uh, hackers decide to hack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I agree. So you've spent over 20 years um, as a Navy SEAL. Now, what were, what was your specialty or what were you specialized in during that time? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I was lucky. I did, uh, the first half of my career was more of your tactical combat um, life as a SEAL. Uh, and then the second half of my career was more covert clandestine um, operations. So, uh, you know, I was very lucky to be able to experience both the overt side of special operations and then also the covert world of special operations. So, um, and that was split between SEAL Team 3 on the West Coast here in the United States and then uh, went to the East Coast. I spent some time at the NSA in D.C. and then, of course, Naval Special Warfare Development Group down in uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, so I stayed operational the full 20 years and had a whole lot of fun and got to do a lot of cool stuff. And so I feel very lucky that I, I got to do it during um, the time frame that the United States was operating so heavily uh, around the world to fight terrorism and or spread democracy. Mm. Yeah. And I have huge respect for, for people like you because it's also kind of inspiring the the things you share and, and many of your former, I, I think colleagues is probably the wrong word. You, you can correct me if there's a better word, but yeah. um, there are a lot of SEALs out there who now have got, uh, gotten into different careers and, and like teaching other people the, the principles you learned during that time. And I think that's a, a really cool thing. But um, I'm, I'm curious because it seems like the things you talk about in the book with the 100 Deadly Skills series, I could see how it relates to your time in the army in the Navy as a Navy SEAL. But the rugged life, it isn't really something that you have learned during that time. So 
I'm curious to hear what got you interested or into these skills and into kind of becoming self-reliant and then focusing on stuff like that. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, 100 Deli skills is a little closer to the military aspect. Um, but the reality was, as I stepped back from all that and said, wait a minute, you know, your basic life support items, food, water, shelter, uh, you know, medical, these are things that were touched on in an emergency scenario. But then I was like, well, wait, you know, these are things that you got to kind of need to know every day right now. And so went to a much broader self-reliant world and then was like, you know, I don't know, a whole, I don't know everything that was in the book. I, I went and the best part of building a book is the research aspect, right? And I enjoy being the student. I enjoy learning. So you go find all the experts and people who are homesteading and actually living on their own. And I would go and visit them and hang out with them and their family and collect all of that, you know, basically on the ground information. Um, and I feel that my part since I've been out, not just building books, but building books that provide information in its most simplistic form, right? I feel like I take the complicated and my job is to make it as simple as possible for people to understand. And that's why I have a lot of illustrations in my books, um, along with like no shit narrative, right? I don't, I don't feel like I need to type, 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 type just to make the book thicker so that it makes it look better on a shelf, right? I only give you what you need, what I feel you need to know and nothing more. And, um, but yeah, the best part is going, meeting those people who do it for a living, collecting that information and then providing it to readers in a way that's as easy to understand as possible. You actually said something interesting because I was blown away by how thin your book is. And then when I opened it up, there's so much in there. I was like, on one page, I, I learned so many new things that I didn't know about before. So I, I love how dense it is. And as you said, it's it's good that you kind of get straight to the point and, and don't try to make it bigger as it has to be. Right. Yeah, I hate books like that. <laughs> mm, yeah, me too. So yeah. you mentioned that that research was your favorite part, and I'm curious, the families you visited and, and whom you talked to, what were some of the coolest things that you saw them building or, or what they did? Well, one, one thing I found interesting is most of these families uh, leverage the family itself as a force multiplier, right? As soon as they have kids, those kids are working. You know what I mean? They're out there. They're getting dirty with the animals that they raise. You know, they're in charge of feeding or watering those animals, you know, as it relates to, uh, you know, growing your own food, whether that's on the garden side of the house or if that's on the protein side. Um, I found it interesting that, you know, here I am going, oh, my God, I've got a daughter and I, I, I would never think to make her go out with, you know, her mud, her mud boots on and, you know, slip and slide in a, in a, in a pig's pen, you know, trying to feed these things. Right. No one does that anymore. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, it made, it made me feel so like small as a parent. I'm like, wow, did I, I don't know if I raised my daughter, right? Because look at these kids at age eight are out just getting it done. And that's, you know, before the sun rises and before they go to school, they're working their asses off. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, 
those kids are going to be squared away by the time they're my age. They're going to know how to do stuff that I never knew how to do. Um, so that was probably the first like, you know, little alert that I had, like, wow, that's pretty cool. And we all should be doing that. You know, you should be handing that, get, getting your kids out there, making them be physical, getting them off their phones and making them work. Right. I think we're lacking that as we see, like here in the U S nobody wants to show up for work. Like you got restaurants that are understaffed. Nobody wants to wait tables anymore. You've got landscaping going to hell because no one wants to mow the grass. I mean, it's crazy to me that, you know, I'm like, how do people pay their bills these days if they're not going to work? Right. So the work ethic is probably the biggest takeaway when you show up to these families. Um, on top of that, probably some of the coolest things that you just don't think about is, and I've said this in other interviews, is just water catchment, how, collecting free water, right? I mean, they had these gutter systems on the edge of every single structure. Here in the U.S., we're used to putting gutters around the roof of the home, right? That collects all that water and then shoots it down these down drains. And then you can usually push it to your yard and reuse it in a very simplistic form. But what they're doing is they're using the gutters on the barn, on the house, on the animal shelters. Every single structure has gutters that then have downspouts that then go to barrels. And so what I found pretty cool was like a simple math equation that I included in the book. But to keep it simple here, if you had a thousand square foot roof, and you put gutters on it, and you collect one inch of rain, right? That's 600 plus gallons of water in a one inch rain on a thousand square foot roof. <laughs> that's, that's enough water that's for a year, right? That's, that's yeah. water for your family, that's water for your animals, and that's water for your garden if you have all of that going in one inch, one inch of rain, you know? So, I know you guys metric system and all that you convert it pretty easily, but it's uh, to me that was pretty pretty amazing what we take for granted. So number one, work ethic. Number two, the shit that we take for granted. You know, you walk around these these families' properties, and you're like, oh, yep, I don't really uh, take water that seriously. I sure as hell don't take soil that seriously. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, and and really what you're doing is going back to the basics that every country started with. But yet, like I said at the beginning, none of us just know how to do anymore. And we should just so that you have a backup plan. Yeah, that's a great learning that they kind of just make the best use of the resources they already have. Because as you said, why not use it if you have it for free, basically? So yeah. yeah. And about the work ethic part, I kind of got the quest this question popped up into my head, like the, the chicken chicken egg problem. Do you think the work ethic came first and that's why they were able to build the life they have? Or do you think they decided to go and build this life and they kind of developed the work ethic? Uh, one of the families, they it's generational, right? So they've grown up this way and that's all they know. Um, another family chose. They lived in the suburbs and then they were like, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And they chose to make the change. So it is a little bit of chicken and egg, depending on the family, um, which I, I, I also found very interesting. And, you know, the reason one, 
one reason is because they just don't know anything different. It's a way of life for them, you know, their parents, their parents' parents, and so on. Um, the other one was just they did not they, – they were thinking about their kids. They were like, you know, I just don't want my kids growing up, um, you know, with the complacency of kids in their age group. And I, I totally get it, you know. Um, I've even made some moves – to kind of adjust my lifestyle, you know, to the same, because I feel like it's, it's that important. We've gotten to the point now where, you know, those basic life support, you know, needs and requirements that we have, you know, I, I don't want to rely a hundred percent on a grocery store to provide it if I can do it myself. And like I said, these days with the number of technological advances that you can then apply to your own garden or to whatever it is you're doing, makes it really easy and you can do it somewhat inexpensive you know that's the part that uh i think is is the is the big takeaway is you, you don't have to you know you don't have to take a complicated route to be self-reliant you know which mm -hmm. some people do choose to do you can keep it simple yeah, yeah. that that's a good um that's a good way to get to my next question which would be I live in a small city apartment. Now, I I won't be able to go out next week and say I'm going to build my own home somewhere um, outside of the city. But what's maybe a good place where I can start or where people like me, because I, I guess many of the listeners can relate to this, that they might find it hard to find how it applies to them personally. So how can someone living in an apartment in a city start with, getting down the path of the rugged life? Uh, the first is you could do um, a window seal, you know, a garden, starting with herbs, you know. So all the, the basic herbs that, that you would use in any recipe, those are super easy. There's kits that are available on Amazon. Um, if you wanted to take the next step, it would be a vertical garden. You can do a vertical garden in the corner of your apartment. Um, And as long as sunlight hits that corner of your apartment, you know, at least a couple hours a day, then you can get into vegetables growing right there in your apartment. If you have a balcony, that's even better, right? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to limit the, uh, the effort on your end, right? You can leverage rain. You can leverage, obviously, the sunlight and the climate if it's out there. Um, and you don't have to worry so much about that when it's inside. Um, And all of these vertical gardens, windowsill gardens, um, the kits are readily available and inexpensive right there uh, on your online stores, right? So once again, we're, we're leveraging Amazon, like we all do, uh, to deliver things that allow you to be more self-reliant. I think that's, that's probably the easiest place to start. Water catchment, uh, a lot of people that live in apartments um, have roof access. So, you know, you can go up there and set up your own bucket system if you want and start collecting your own water, you know. It's really, um, you know, and, and most of the time, you know, your landlords really can't complain about something like that, you know. Uh, it's something that they more than likely would support you on um, because the excuse I would use is, hey, if you want me to pay your rent, I need to save money in other places. So can I just get access to the roof, please? <laughs> mm. And they'll go, okay, <laughs> as long as they're getting the rent money. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So those are two good starting points. Uh, and I think the, the one with the herbs is kind of to, going towards the part of farming, I guess. Yeah, so it's that, very that's... simple. Yeah, very simple. The other, you know, obviously I've, 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 I've mentioned, you know, protein and vegetables, but the reality, the book has, as you've noticed, it's broken down into be your own and then fill in the blank, right? So be your own farmer, be your own butcher, be your own hunter, but it's also be your own homemaker, right? I mean, you can go into your kitchen cabinet right now and make your own pomade that I used in my hair today so that you look good and feel clean. Um, you know, coconut oil, people don't realize. I mean, it's the base product along with, uh, with beeswax to almost every all organic hair product that you can think of, right? So shampoo, conditioner, pomades, gels, all that kind of stuff you can make right there in your own kitchen. Um, minimal investment, but you'll make a vat of it that'll last you a full year, you know? So um, the book has be your own, fill in the blank as it relates to a lot of different stuff out there. Uh, be your own handyman, right? You start fixing stuff yourself. Stop relying on a phone call to someone to come fix something. You can do it yourself. There's enough YouTube videos out there to do anything yourself. You just got to look it up and do it. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that you could create shampoo or stuff like that yourself. That's really interesting. Yeah. Look into that. Super so easy. You mentioned some of the parts of the rugged life already that you write about. And I'm curious, is there one that is closest to your heart, one that is most fun for you or that you practice the most? Yeah, I think um, it, it, I think the ones that are my favorite anchor to my childhood, you know, my dad was the ultimate handyman, right? He's one of those guys that could take a, you know, Uh, a 1970 Oldsmobile that had a 455 rocket engine in it. And he could take it apart and put it back together without ever once referring to a manual, right? A very much an engineering mindset. And so me being the little kid, right, his right hand man, you know, go get me, you know, a Cressus wrench, go get me a 716th, you know, socket, go get me that. I was his little, you know, gopher. And I would go get the tools for him. And then when I got a little older and it was time to, uh, you know, let's say run wires around the house, um, you know, he'd have me crawling around in the attic, uh, you know, dragging a wire with me, crawling around and running it. So uh, all of your your handy skills I enjoyed putting together because it really took me back to the foundation that my dad laid for me that once again, anchors to do it yourself, you know, having the capability to do it yourself is, uh, is just a great trait that everyone should have. Mm. And I also hear you say, or I think you even write about it. That's how it differentiates from prepping because prepping is basically just getting food or other stuff that you might need in the crisis so that you have something, but the rugged life is more about building systems and then developing the skills to be able to provide for yourself rather than just buying food and then consuming it all. And then you have to buy new food. It's about having the ability to provide your own food, right? Exactly. Yeah. Preppers, they basically just buy crap 
and throw it in a closet and wait for the zombies to show up, right? And the rugged life is exactly what you said, putting the systems in place so that you have long-term sustainment of food, water, shelter, whatever, all the things we need. And that way, you don't have to buy anything. You know, Amazon could shut down, your local grocery store could go out of business, and you'll be just fine. Mm -hmm. I love that. So as we're running out of time, I want to ask you one last question. Uh, we've talked a little bit about books, and the, the podcast is called The Power of Books for a Reason. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, are there any books or, or which books, maybe name one or two that have impacted your life the most that the readers or the listeners to our show should check out? Yeah, the probably the biggest one that relates directly to writing a book, but also was very entertaining, and most people haven't heard of it, is it's called it's Stephen King's book, and its title is On Writing. And it is a mixture between being a autobiography and also teaching you how to write a book. And I I have referenced that a number of times, but it was probably one of my favorite books before I even thought about writing a book. It was just, it'll make you laugh out loud, the shit that that guy, I mean, that guy was snorting lines of cocaine off his desk and he wrote Cujo in like 72 hours, you know, and we're, remember, this is like on a typewriter and pulling out, you know, taking the entire book, writing it in 72 hours, has no idea that he actually wrote it until he opened up his desk, desk drawer two weeks later. And he's like, oh, pulls it out, you know, and it's Cujo or The Green Mile or The Running Man. I mean, all of his books, <laughs> he was high as a kite. And, you know, they've all obviously turned into these major movies, but, uh, But in there, between all the funny stories, is things like, you know, he would always make sure he wrote a thousand words a day, right? Like that was a goal. Whether he was sick, tired, or just didn't feel like it, he made sure he always put at least a thousand words a day on paper. And before you know it, you've got yourself a book, right? And then the other takeaway was once that book was done, print it put it in a drawer and don't look at it for like a couple of weeks, even a couple of months, let your mind let go of it for a moment, then pull it out and go into your editing process. But anyway, Stephen King on writing, probably one of the funniest, coolest books in a, in a great way to learn how to write a book. That's awesome. And it sounds hilarious. I got to check that one out. For <laughs> yeah. sure. So thanks for sharing that. All right, so for all the listeners, I highly recommend checking out the book, The Rugged Life. As we said, it's short, concise, and it's so much stuff that you can learn from it. But other than that, for people who want to learn more about you and your other work, where can they find you? Yeah, my main platform on social media is Instagram at 100 Deadly Skills or Clint Emerson. It's my only account on there, so it has the blue check mark. Uh, otherwise, my entire ecosystem lives at clintemerson.com. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time today, Clint. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, back at you, buddy. You take it easy over there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Power of Books. 
As always, you will find all the relevant links for today's episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe so that you will get notified whenever a new episode drops. And you would do us a huge favor if you could give us a five-star review on your favorite platform. I hope to see you next week. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep growing. Bye-bye.